Well, we've been studying the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 4. We're looking at verse 25 today. The title of the sermon is Living in Truth. I'll be teaching and reading uh, from the New American Standard Bible today. And we're going to look at verse 24 along with 25, because you can't really separate the two. So let's, let's jump right in and read our text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, it is good for us to gather together. And it's, it's good, God, because you are here. We ask you, Lord, as we open your word, as we give ourselves to the study and the receiving of your word, that Holy Spirit, you would cause the word of God, the truth of God, to go down deep into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to receive and change and respond to your word. Teach us today, God. We need your direction and your instruction. So we offer this time to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you probably learned in school, uh, the Battle of Gettysburg was the turning point of the American Civil War. Uh, it was a devastating defeat for the Confederate Army of the South. But what's not often remembered when we, we love to, you know, learn about and read about, or at least I do, Gettysburg. It's been fascinating my whole life. But we, we often forget about the crushing defeat that the Northern Army had just experienced in Chancellorville, which is in Virginia. After they get crushed in Chancellorville, the Union Army cuts north. They're like, we got to go back north. And in a very bold move, uh, General Lee figures, well, we've got him on the run, and he follows them up into Pennsylvania, okay? This is the second time, and would be the last time, that the South invades the North in the Civil War. It's by God's grace that this three-day battle, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 1863, um, fought at Gettysburg, or the fields around town, only by the grace of God that it was a decisive win for the North and a crippling defeat for the Confederate Army, because after the conflict, on the fields all around Gettysburg lay the bodies of 51,000 Americans. 51,000 Americans died in a three-day battle. Very costly battle. Four months after the battle, that November, Abraham Lincoln stepped onto that field to dedicate it as a, a war cemetery. And, you know, and he said, in part, um, these words. He said, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, right? Because no one remembers the Gettysburg Address. He said, but they can never forget what they did here. See, these were ordinary people. President Lincoln is talking about farmers, many of them teenagers. He's talking about college professors, business owners, ordinary people. They put on a uniform, and they changed their behavior and became, took on a new identity as a soldier. It was the actions of changed people that not only won the war, but ensured the liberty and equality of all Americans. These are people who put on 
a uniform and conformed their actions to the calling of a soldier. These are men who endeavored to walk worthy of this calling, familiar vocabulary that we've been reading in Ephesians. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul has been charging us to put on our new identity in Jesus. Verse 24, he says, put on the new self. And then he describes it. He says, this new self, which in the likeness of God, it's like God, it has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so as we put on this new self and as we walk in this new identity, our lives change. Our lives are conformed now to this new way of walking, this this uniform, this identity that we're given by God. It's not just something that changes on the outside. It's something that brings about a change on the inside. And the inside changes become obvious as they express themselves outward. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what Brian taught last week, that in Jesus, we're no longer who we once were. Because our identity used to be based entirely on our performance, how, how well we behaved, how good we act, what we were good at, maybe what we were bad at, how much money we had. Our identity used to be pinned on our performance, what we had to offer. But Jesus has given us a new identity, and this new identity brings with it new actions, new behaviors, new goals, new patterns of life. Jesus changes us. We are not who we once were. Yes, thank you, Lord. In 2 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way in chapter 5, verse 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, okay, listen, if you're in Christ, that this includes you. Okay, I know it's obvious, but sometimes we don't. Okay, but Paul's talking to you if you're in Christ here. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What he's saying is that we're made new creations. We're made brand new. We're different than what we once were. And that is good news. And as we live our new life in Jesus, we're empowered to cultivate a new character that is consistent with this new identity that we've been given in Christ. This identity is not just in Jesus, but this identity is also like Jesus. We grow to be more like Jesus. And as we grow to be more like Jesus, all of the things that separate us, they start to dissolve because God deals with our heart issues. So the things that separate us from God, God deals with that immediately. The sin that separates us from God is forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. The things that separate people groups and separate the races from one another, separate nations from one another, God removes those things in Jesus. We don't hold animosity or grudges for one another. We're all made one. We're brought together in Jesus. The things that separate children from parents, the rebelliousness, the things that separate a husband and a wife, which I'm going to call pride, right? God deals with all of that stuff in Christ. And as we put on, or as Paul would say, adorn this new identity, our lives change. Our actions change. Our words change. Our motivations change. And so today, we're we're finally at a point in chapter 4 where Paul starts laying out explicit things that are true of this new identity. And today, we're seeing that in our new identity, what the Lord works out in us as we put on, as we adorn our identity in Christ, is truthfulness. Now, our verse is very straightforward, okay? Paul addresses basically two things relating to truthfulness in our verse, and he's, he's addressing this theme that he's had uh, throughout chapter 4, and he's, today we'll see this culture of truthfulness, and the second thing we'll see is we'll see this new motivation for truthfulness. 
that there's a culture as we, as we grow in our identities in Christ, a culture of truthfulness, truthfulness, excuse me, and a motivation, a new redeemed motivation for being truthful. So this culture of truthfulness, why can't I say that word right now? This is what happens when God's kingdom family lives together in truth. And he defines this action in this present active tense. Listen very carefully. The NASB does an excellent job of translating this verse. He says, put on the new self. So for those of you that are looking for the action, what am I supposed to do? This, this is the only action in this. He says, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, okay, because that has happened, laying aside falsehood, Here's another action. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The power of this passage is, is found in the first word of verse 25, the word therefore. Because what he's doing is he's pinning the behavior, pinning the actions of verse 25 on the truth that is, that is who we are, our new identity, what we have done or chosen to do in verse 24, which is adorn ourselves in Christ. Because we have adorned ourselves in Christ, this is true. Now, every other religion says to try harder to be truthful. Man, you just, you just need to try harder to be truthful. Philosophers like to sit around, and I choose to think that they all smoke pipes, and they wonder why, pondering why humanity doesn't always conform to truthfulness. Well, why, why do we lie, right? And they, and they get into these long, long uh, essays and dissertations. Our government sets up laws in order to change our behavior, hoping to get people to make better decisions. But notice that Paul isn't telling us how not to live, and he's not telling us what to do. He is saying that because God has taken up residence in us, and we have put on our new identity, because of that, we now put away lying. It's a beautiful picture here. It's not a suggestion to try and be more truthful. It's not a, a rule to be followed necessarily. That's not the kind of the nature of the way Paul's saying it. This isn't a philosophical dilemma to be wrestled with. That Paul's, you know, inviting us to just ponder this deep thing. He's saying, listen, based on your conversion to follow Jesus, I assume that you've put away lying. You've put away your old life. You have no reason, you have no business lying anymore. And this assumption of Paul's is true. Because when we're saved, God changes our identity to be like Jesus. And Paul's not talking about some deep form of truthfulness here. Uh, it's not this complicated theological truth that we need to lay hold of. No, Paul is using a Greek word here that is it's a very simple understanding of, of when he says put away lying. What he's saying is put away intentionally deceit, intentionally deceiving others. Put away the, the way that you mislead others. It's a very simple word. He's saying you no longer misrepresent what is true because you're in Christ. Now, that might seem super basic, like, well, what else are you going to talk about now, Billy? But listen, th this covers a lot, and it covers a lot of the way our culture misrepresents truth, and not just our culture, like, oh, th that's how they do it. It's a way that I believe we get sucked into in our own lives misrepresenting the truth or deceiving others or misleading others. Let me give you some examples that are actually culturally very accepted and even encouraged. The first way we can misrepresent the truth in a totally culturally acceptable way is flattery. Flattery is the misrepresentation of another person in a positive light, right? We misrepresent them in a positive way. See, when we flatter others, we misrepresent what is true. 
And when we demand flattery from others, we require others to misrepresent what is true. The second way that we can misrepresent the truth in a very culturally acceptable way is slander. Uh, Slander is negatively misrepresenting the facts about someone. And this is speaking about someone behind their back in a negative or derogatory way. Slander is an art form in our culture, right? It is an entertainment genre in our culture. When I check out at the grocery store, there's, you know, when you're pushing the cart in and I've got my little kids from, you're in the the tunnel of temptation, I call it, for three feet down, it's designed for little hands to grab and beg, right? Bright colors and everything's right around a buck, you know, how are you going to say no? Which I say no all the time because I hate that. But from three feet up, it's all magazines that are selling slander, Right? So-and-so changed their hair color, and their boyfriend hates it. You know, th- this prince is doing this, and, and the queen is fed up with it. Right? We, we want to get the dirt. We want to read about this negative light that's being cast on others' actions. We're a culture that embraces and buys and sells slander. And it's totally A-OK in our culture. It's a billion-dollar industry. Another way that we misrepresent the truth that is culturally even encouraged is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is misrepresenting the facts about yourself, right? Either we speak about ourselves in a manner that we don't plan to live out, or we live in a way that doesn't match what we say about ourselves. We're, we're encouraged to kind of like, well, sell yourself a little bit, right? And just, just kind of build it up a little bit. Let them understand kind of where you're coming from, right? See, all of these are ways that we tend to misrepresent reality. And all of them are culturally accepted. But listen, this is what Paul's getting to. Underneath underneath lying, all of these ways that we, are ways that we seek to find approval from other people. Why do we flatter people? We want their approval. Why do we slander others? We want the approval of other people and to think less of him and think more of me. Why are we hypocrites? Why do, why do we tend to be hypocritical? Well, we want others to think of us in a better light, like I'm more skilled or I'm more successful or I'm more intelligent than I actually am. When I get down to the bottom of lying, what's underneath my misrepresentation of the truth, all flattery, slander, and hypocrisy, I find that underneath our mishandling of the truth is a self-focused, deep longing for approval. Or or sometimes maybe we lie, we misrepresent the truth in order to protect ourselves, self-preservation. Well, if I'm I'm just not entirely forthright right now, I, I wouldn't have to deal with all that drama. Or if I just put a different number on this tax form, then I wouldn't have to pony up as much money to the government. If I just did this, then I could, we, we self-preserve. We self-protect. Or maybe when we lose control of a situation, we like to maintain a form of control, and so we'll misrepresent the facts a little bit to kind of bring peace, a peace that's brokered by misrepresentation of the truth. And so whether we straight out lie to control a situation or try to control what others think about us, either way, we misrepresent the truth because we want to protect and feel better about ourselves. And so beneath every way we lie and misrepresent the truth, beneath all of that lies a selfish or self-preserving motive. And in our study these last few weeks, Paul has confronted this. And what he said, remember a few weeks ago, he said, you used to live that way right? That's how you used to live. That's how the whole world lives. I get it. You kind of come by it pretty honestly, so to speak. But listen, that's how you used to live. Now you don't live that way because your identity is rock solid. You have no need to misrepresent the truth. All of your motivations for lying are gone because your needs are met in Christ. Put on the new, he's saying. 
It's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful tension that he's creating. But simply speaking the truth is not necessarily what Paul is saying here. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I taught on speaking the truth in love. See, Paul's not saying, rather than lying, just always speak the truth and you're all good. Listen, it is totally possible to speak the truth in the, in the wrong way. I'm the master of this, okay? I, I, can, I can teach with a lot of experience. One of the ways I do this is in harshness. We can be harsh or unloving, and we can speak the truth as a way to feel better about ourselves. Like, I know what is right, and I want to make sure that you know what is right, and I might say it loud enough so they know that I'm right, and then when you're not around, I might talk about how I was right and you were wrong. See, and that harshness turns into gossip, right? Gossip is actually speaking the truth about someone, but in a negative way, tearing others down. See, it's, we're, we're, I'm just telling the truth, right? If you can't take the truth, man, you know, like, just speaking the truth, so we're harsh, we're critical, or we gossip out of a desire to protect or feel better about ourselves. Whether we lie or speak the truth in a wrong way, it comes from a place of selfishness. Listen, the reason I kind of went on and drilled that home, I know it's kind of gnarly, that point, but we have to see it as that because selfishness is a heart issue. This is why Paul is not telling us to change your behavior. He's not saying, just stop it, right? Just knock it off. Because changing our behavior doesn't do anything to address the heart issue. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at this passage in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says, this is verse 45, he says that the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Ouch, right? That's, that's heavy words, Jesus. Like, you can tell what someone's all about by what comes out of their mouth and how it comes out of their mouth. See, trying to be more truthful does nothing to address our heart issues. Notice how Paul addresses our need to be truthful, the context for it. All right, he's talking about this, this culture of truthfulness where we, we, don't, we no longer, we're a people that are set apart, we're called by God, adopted into a family, and, and part of that family, he's saying now, is that we speak truth. But now he's going to talk about the motivation for truthfulness. Listen to this. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Why? Here's the motivation. For we are members of one another. Isn't that incredible? What's our motivation for speaking the truth? Paul places our motivation for truthfulness on others because we are no longer motivated by our own hearts to lie. And so now, when I'm tempted to not speak the truth because my identity issues are settled in Christ, I'm now able to speak the truth even if it doesn't paint me in the best light or a better light, even if it, even if it costs me more. I'm able to speak the truth in love even because I don't have to hold back. I don't have to self-preserve. Paul's saying that the truth must be told with the benefit of others in mind. In order to change the way we communicate truth to others, we must first find our identity and, and find a place of contentment and, and settling in our identities in Christ. Now, that sounds crazy, speaking to a room full of probably mostly Christians here. But man, when was the last time, when was the last time we felt content? Just like, man, everything is all good because I'm in Christ. I sat in the hospital this last week with someone who was like, man, you know what? Junk happens. He's like, but, but, 
The Lord, I'm, the Lord's got me. I'm here. I'm, I'm with the Lord right now. I was blown away. I was more worried for him than he was of himself. It's just that, that peace that just pe- passes, surpasses all understanding. That contentment. It was, it was beautiful to see. It was, it was like a slap in the face. But see, we can, we can only speak truth, and we can only speak truth for the benefit of others, that being our primary motivation, when our identity issues are settled in Christ, when we're no longer searching for the approval of others by what and how we say what we say. It's always been the case. And um, it was from a place of relationship in the Garden of Eden from being with Adam and Eve, that God started setting some guidelines. He's like, okay, I kind of see, you know, what you're made of here and what you're, what you're bound to do. And from this place of loving relationship, in order for this loving relationship to continue, uh, don't eat from that one tree right there, right? It was a, from a place of relationship that the behavior was expected to flow. That's the same thing when God gave the, the Ten Commandments to Israel. Moses brings them down off the mountain. The first five of the Ten Commandments address our need to seek and put God first. Because you can't do the second five commandments until the first five commandments have brought contentment to our heart. The, second of the, the last five commandments address how we then deal rightly with others. We will never deal rightly with others until we're dealing with God rightly. The book of Ephesians is written in the same format. The first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, first half of the book of Ephesians address our need for God and tell us all about God's incredible plan to bring us back to Him through Jesus. That's what chapters 1 through 3 are about, reestablishing relationship, rediscovering our identity in Christ. And then chapters 4 through 6, which is the section we're in now in chapter 4, the last half of Ephesians addresses how we then live with others. What does this look like? What does this play out? How do we talk to each other? How do we listen to each other? It's always God first and then others. Because if we don't put God first, we put ourselves first every time. If God's not first, I'm going to be first. Christian, the more we focus on, enjoy, and grow in relationship with God, the more we're able to focus on, enjoy, and grow in relationship with others. The one flows from the other. And Jesus summarized all of the laws of God by simply saying to love God first and most and love others well. In fact, he says love them as much as you love yourself, which is a pretty high standard. Truth-telling in love requires deep intimacy with Jesus. And truth-telling and love is necessary for healthy relationship. Truth is vital. We must speak the truth. Truth in relationship is necessary because trust is based on truth. If you're in relationship with someone who's not truthful, you don't trust them. Marriages are devastated by a lack of truth because there's no trust. Friendships, coworker relationships, neighbor relationships, siblings, relationship between siblings, they all require truth and love to be healthy. In our community groups, all of these new community groups, you guys, it's incredible how many of you are going to community groups now. Listen, a community group will explode if there's a lack of truth and love. You have to speak the truth in love to have healthy Christian community. See, it doesn't matter how much you like someone, right? Maybe you're in a relationship or you want a relationship. It doesn't matter how much you like someone or how attracted to them you are or how similar you might be. A lack of truth and love will always yield an absence of trust because the lack of truth and love reveals a sinful, selfish heart. That's why a relationship that's based on flattery lacks trust. A relationship that's 
founded in slander and gossip, lacks trust. The prophet Zechariah spoke directly into this gospel scenario we see in the church in Zechariah chapter 8. Now, Zechariah was writing to Israel, and uh, the context is shockingly similar to to what Paul is writing into uh, this church in Ephesus. And Zechariah was addressing the need for God's people to be saved from their own sinful hearts, okay? That the law had been given, and Israel was trying to work out the the details of the law, but it wasn't affecting their hearts. They, They weren't obeying God from a place of the heart. They were obeying God in their outward actions, positionally, trying to position themselves rightly based on what they could bring to the table. And so he writes into Israel, but when Zechariah writes into Israel, Israel has been in exile. They've been cut off from life with God because they they weren't obeying the commands of God. They they weren't obeying with their hearts. They were saying some of the same things that that I say even or or that we can fall into as Christians. Like, wait, so Billy, here, what you're saying is all I got to do is try harder to tell the truth and I'm all good? I, I already am trying harder to tell the truth, so I'm all good, golden, right? Or we, all I have to do is just try to be a better Christian, and, and, and then I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm trying to be a better. I'm working on it, right? See, they're missing the whole point. The whole point of, man, your heart has to belong to God. Your, your heart has to be after God in order for these actions to come out onto the surface. It's the same thing that we deal with today. And God commanded Israel. He said, obey the word of God or you shall die. Israel said, we shall obey. And they were brought into exile. So the problem isn't that people lie too much. That wasn't the problem in ancient Israel. It wasn't the problem in Ephesus. It's not the problem today. It's not that we lie too much. The problem is that we're born into sin. Our hearts are hopelessly drawn to sin from birth. This isn't a behavior issue. This is a heart issue. And after centuries of habitual heart issues in Israel, Zechariah finally hears from the Lord and he shares these words, this promise from God as a prophecy in Zechariah 8.3. He says, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. It's, it's amazing, bringing people together and truth being this first identity that Zechariah shares with Israel. That's, that's what we're going to be known for. See, the Lord is saying, I will do what you have failed to do in your sin. I will redeem people. I will make them truthful. I will step in and do what you couldn't do. I will gather a people. I will gather them to me. They'll be my people, and these people will be marked by truth. And Paul is revealing the fulfillment of this prophecy. Look at verse 25 in Ephesians 4. He says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. It's the fulfillment of that prophecy. We've been brought together by God, and we are part of his family. We've been adopted as children, Paul says earlier in Ephesians. We are a kingdom family, the kingdom family of God. God's not saying that we just need to try a little harder to be more truthful. God's saying, hey, he's been saying the same thing for a millennia, actually, that we need a complete overhaul. He's like, look, you're a mess. I I can't work with what I'm seeing here. I'm going to have to pull the body off the frame, put a new motor in, and deal with all of these rust issues you got going on. You you actually need big parts replaced. It's not just a matter of slapping more Bondo on the thing. 
our issues with lying and wrongly speaking the truth come from within our hearts. And what Paul's getting at in the passage today is that even though we might do good things, right, and, and man, you might be trying really hard to tell the truth, but despite the good things that we might do, underneath our good deeds is a heart that cares more for ourselves than for others. If we don't have our new identity on, if we're not in Christ, we care more for ourselves than others, or we, we care more for ourselves than we care for God even, possibly. And so Paul is saying again and again throughout the book of Ephesians, we've talked about this so many times these la- this last year, receive, lay hold of, put on, adorn, live according to this calling of who we are in Christ. And church, if we want to see and experience truthful kingdom family community, truthful life together, we must receive and we must be changed by God's gift of love and salvation. That only comes through Jesus. God's violent act of love when he sacrificed himself on the cross is the only way for us to be made right with God. And we desperately need to be made right with God. Or we'll never satisfy our need for love and approval. We'll, we'll never misrepresent the truth enough to feel good about ourselves enough to finally sit in peace. Jesus has addressed our heart issue, our sinfulness, once and for all. He fulfilled Zechariah's ancient promise, bringing people, God bringing people to himself. He's brought people back to God. And here's the cool part about what Jesus did. He didn't just bring us back to God, but he brought us back to God and he did it together. Like we're together. That God called for himself, not just a people, not just an army, but a family, children, called together siblings, brothers and sisters to do life together. And so the mark of the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, this promise of God, is what we're experiencing today, this truth-telling in love that is the church. There were to be a people that tell the truth, that speak the truth, that speak into each other's life, that receive the truth. And Jesus enables and empowers us. Guys, listen, this is crazy. Jesus enables and empowers even me, even people like me, as screwed up and as selfish as I am apart from God. God found me in a horrible, miserable, selfish place. And Jesus eliminates my fear. Jesus eliminates my insecurity. Jesus has removed my desperation for approval from other people. And here's the thing, when I do lie, and, and I hate to stand up here and tell you that, but I do. When, 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 I, when I mess up, when I, when I blow it and I, and I don't tell the truth, when I take my eyes off of Jesus and I blow it, when I do speak harshly, or when I do speak negatively of others, listen, Jesus' forgiveness and the love of God is right there. The Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin. And it's not a slap on the hand I get. It's an embrace from a loving Father. Because in Christ... God chooses to see me as his perfect son. And he offers forgiveness in a second. Praise God. See, that is our new life in Jesus. This love and forgiveness, what that does is it changes my heart. And it changes me in ways that behavior modification will never change you. 
If we allow the love of God and the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, if we're, if we're willing to walk in humility, when we blow it, man, we go to someone else and we own it. We go to God and we own it and we ask for forgiveness and we're restored to right relationship. That kind of love that we receive from God changes us in ways that self-control and willpower will never address. It changes who we are. Jesus enables and empowers even me to speak the truth in love. That is a miracle. Jesus fulfills my desires for approval, and he frees me to speak truth to others for their benefit. I'm no longer manipulating the truth and speaking the truth only when it benefits me and withholding the truth because that benefits me. I don't, I don't deal that way anymore. Jesus has set me free from that. And here's the real miracle in my life anyway. Jesus also enables me to receive the truth when others speak it in love. See, I can receive the truth and love from people without offense, without anger, without comparing myself with others. All those traps that I used to fall into, well, well oh yeah, well, one time I heard you do that same thing, right? Not, not taking full ownership. How is this possible? Because I know that even when I sin, I'm loved and approved by God. Because Jesus loves me and approves of me and has brought me into the presence of the Father, the person who speaks truth into my life, who loves me enough to speak truth into my life, they're actually more important than I am because my identity is settled in Jesus. Jesus' love frees me to receive correction from others. Guys, that is supernatural. I can't fake that. When we put on our new identity in Jesus and we put off lying and misrepresenting the truth like Paul is telling us in our passage, then we experience true kingdom family community with God and each other. Kingdom family community that God has adopted us into a family and we experience his presence individually and we experience his presence together as we marinate in the word of God and as we walk in the truth of God. Loving, accepting, truthful, trusting community like only God can bring about. And this supernatural community is a place where difficult truth doesn't push people away. Right? Confessing our sins to others, it doesn't push people away. When I blow it and I go to someone to confess my sin, it doesn't separate us. Addressing conflict doesn't break relationship. Speaking truth into someone's life, it doesn't have to offend or divide us. We're willing to confront each other in love when there's error. See, this is how the church is to operate, and it's all by God's grace. This only comes by supernatural transformation. This only comes through gospel change, not trying harder. In John chapter 17, and this is where I'm going to wrap it up here, Jesus declares that he is the truth. Now, Jesus spoke the truth, and, and multitudes followed Jesus because they were thirsty and hungry for the truth. But Jesus not only spoke the truth, he says in John 17, verse 17, if you, if you want to write it down, that he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And we know that we are sanctified, which is a big churchy word, which just means we're changed to be like Jesus. We are changed to be like Jesus through the truth through Jesus. And so God's kingdom family is defined by truth and truthfulness, which means, church, and this is important, God's kingdom family is defined by Jesus and growing in Jesus. That is who we are. That is who I am. I am growing in Jesus to be more like Jesus. And so Christian, brothers and sisters, walk in the love of God in Jesus today. 
Put away the desire to misrepresent or mishandle the truth as you put on the truth about who you are as a child of God. Just like a, a farmer on the field of Gettysburg. You know, a dude showing up in suspenders and a pitchfork and a straw hat, right? I was talking to David this last Thursday, and he's like, yeah, he could show up at Gettysburg and he might get lucky enough to stick one or two guys, but he's not going to do anything, right? He's in the wrong place, wearing the wrong uniform. He's got the wrong tools in his hand. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, you've been given a new identity, and that comes with adorning. It's something that happens on the inside. It's something that affects the outside. It's something that prepares us and equips us. Put away our struggle with the truth. It's not about trying harder to be good. It's about letting Jesus start to strip away our old desires and change our heart as we put on. Again today, Christian, put on what is true. Take off the old, put on the new, and walk in truth. Let Jesus satisfy your identity issues. Let Jesus satisfy your fears. Let Jesus deal with all the reasons that you tend to mishandle the truth. Come and rest and enjoy the truth of God's presence and God's love for you in Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart today, I urge you to turn, turn from falsehood, turn from whatever it is God is convicting you of, and put your eyes upon Jesus. I urge you to turn to Jesus. Receive God's gift of forgiveness and love today. Receive. For many of you, probably it's receiving it again. Being reminded, sitting in the presence of God again, I am accepted. I am approved. I am loved. But for some of you, maybe this is the first time. Maybe today God is tugging on your heart, and you're like, man, I want to receive the love of God. I want to satisfy this thirst and this desire that I've had. Listen, there was a thief that hung next to Jesus on the cross, and in one second, he went from being outside the kingdom to inside the kingdom. God does a work upon our hearts, and it happens like this. The work of sanctification is taking me years, but the work of salvation is something that God does immediately. God is saying today is the day of salvation for some of you. And I want to call you today to put your faith in Jesus, to trust him. He is the picture, the example. He's the one we look to. He is the love of God for you, and he will respond if you turn to Jesus and take a step of faith. If you put your trust in Jesus, if you confess your sins to Jesus, he will forgive your sins and bring you into the presence of the Father. You will know a love and a forgiveness that you've never known. And it's from that place where God will continue to walk with you as you work through the issues in your life. Rest in Jesus. Find your peace in Jesus. Find your hope in Jesus. Let's worship him and respond to his word today. Amen, church? Father, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and directs us. Right now, Father, we we need to be led in our hearts to respond to your word. We don't want to be people who only respond with our head. We want to respond with our hearts adorning Christ, putting off the old and receiving and laying hold of what is new. And pray, Holy Spirit, for the faith required to take that step. Move us now to respond, to declare and to sing what is true about you, God. Just say we love you, Lord. Jesus, we need you. (laughs) And so now as we worship you, God, We praise you as we remember that you are present, that you are near. 
Receive our worship, God. Be glorified, not just in this place. We know, God, you're not a God that fills rooms. You're a God that fills people. Be glorified in our hearts and in our life. Be glorified in our gathering as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be people that are eager to pray with you. They're ready to pray with you. You'll be up here on the right or the left. If you need prayer, if you're sick, if you're dealing with something, man, let's, let's pray for you. Let's lay hands on you and pray for healing. If you've got relational issues, if you've got, if you've got some junk going on and you need to bring that to the Lord, come and get prayer. Or come and kneel down on the carpets. We have carpets up here so you don't got to kneel down on your knees on the concrete. Put yourself in a, in a posture of worship. The communion elements are up here on the front of the stage. Everyone who believes in Christ and has put their faith in Christ for salvation is invited to come to the Lord's table. And remember the sacrifice of Jesus that enables us to know and walk in and enjoy and respond to the love of God. Come and have communion. But church, let's respond. Let's glorify God. Let's exalt Jesus as we respond in worship this morning.